you today. Great is our God. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So good to see you today. Have a seat. We are continuing uh, our series called Destinations. All right, now, most Americans uh, get their license when, uh, to drive when they're about 16. And then most Americans will drive for about 60 years. And if you drive for about 60 years, there are going to be some times when you take a wrong turn and you end up on the wrong street. For some of us, that happens once or twice in our life. For others of us, it happens once or twice every day. All right, but we all will have that experience where we'll end up on a street that we really don't want to be on. Today, we want to talk about the boulevard of broken dreams. You see, we all have dreams. We all make plans. We all look into the future and think, I want that. We all have those, those dreams uh, that we try to make happen, but sometimes they don't. Some of those plans and dreams are small. It's not really a major thing if, they, if they're not accomplished or achieved, but others of them are huge, and they just leave us devastated. Uh, the past five weeks, we've been talking about the PATH principle. This, this is huge, okay? That direction determines destination. The, the path that I take today determines where I'm going to end up tomorrow. And we know that's true with driving, okay? But a lot of times we disconnect and we, and we forget that that's true with living. What I eat today determines my health tomorrow. How I spend my money today affects my, fu- my finances for the future. What I do today affects my relationships, my relationship with my family, with people around me, with those I work with, and my relationship with God. See, we all dream of a great life, a good career, a loving family, a major accomplishment. But the reality is that one day we can wake up and it hits us. It's not going to come true. My family will never be whatever. I wanted this career. I don't have it. I dreamed of a marriage that would be full of joy. Mine's full of grief. My family will never be. I wanted to get married. I wanted children. I wanted grandchildren. The dreams of others, they're coming true. Why not mine? Other families are happy. They're successful. They have great jobs. Why not me? Friend, God talks uh, a lot about that uh, in his word. Why? Because it happened to everyone in the Bible. And it's going to happen to you in your life too, sooner or later. And this morning I want us to think about, what do we do? 
when we wake up and that's the reality, when, I, when we find ourselves on the boulevard of broken dreams. 1 Samuel chapter 21 really, really helps us with that. It's the story of David. David was king, greatest king of Israel. But he found himself at times in his life on that boulevard. And we're going to find out how David responded to that dream, to his dream when it wasn't coming true. When it's partly our fault, or maybe totally our fault, but sometimes it's partly the fault of others. And the reality is, too, when our dream is not coming true, we know that God could make it happen. And we probably have prayed that it would. Now, we're going to read from 1 Samuel chapter 21, but you, we've, got to, we've got to get the context here. So I'm going to take a few minutes to talk about that. The context is this. Now, you, most of you know things about David's life. You know that when he was just a teenager, God sent a prophet named Samuel to go to his house, to go to his father's house, his father Jesse, to anoint one of Jesse's sons to be the next king of Israel. And Samuel gets to Jesse's house, and, and, and uh, he saw the oldest son, and he thought, oh, this tall, good-looking guy, he's, he's, he's got to be the one. But God said, no, uh-uh. So Jesse brought out his next oldest son. Not him either, God said. Son number three, same story. All the way through son number six. This isn't the one. And, and Samuel's standing there and he says, well, don't you have any more sons? And Jesse says, well, there's one more little scrawny kid, but, uh, you know, he's out watching the sheep in the fields. And Samuel said, go get him. And when David walked in, God said to Samuel, he's the one. And right there in the living room with David's six older brothers watching, Samuel anointed king, uh, David to be the next king of Israel. Now Jesse said, well, uh, Samuel, when is this going to happen? Because I know we have a king who's not going to step down willingly. And Samuel said, well, I don't know. All I know is God will work it out in his time and in his way. And Jesse said to David, well, you heard that. It's not happening today, so get back out in the field and watch the sheep. So every morning, David went back out into the fields. Every day for a whole year, David is out there in the fields, and he's thinking about that dream. But it wasn't happening. Nothing, no crown, no throne, no palace, no, scep no scepter, just sheep and sheep dung. But then after a year, David got a job. He got a job as an intern in the palace is a harp player. And David starts thinking, oh, okay, now it's starting to come together. But it didn't. 
And his harp playing was just a part-time gig. It wasn't full-time, so most days David was still back home out in the fields watching those exciting sheep chew grass all day. One day Dave, Jesse came to David and said, all right, now I want you to take some food to your older brothers. They'd been drafted into the army. They were fighting the Philistines and... Oh, David was thrilled that this was a change. So he got to the battlefield and he found his brothers. And when he was talking with them, suddenly he heard this big booming voice, a giant name, Goliath. You know the story. Goliath was challenging any warrior in Israel's army who was willing to fight a battle royal, win or take all. Goliath was cursing the God of Israel. And so David's looking around. He's looking to see what soldier was going to go fight Goliath, but no one did. In fact, they were all hiding behind the trees and the rocks. And David just couldn't believe that no one, including his own brothers, was willing to stop this giant from blaspheming God. So he... he ran toward Goliath with his slingshot, and he buried a stone into Goliath's forehead. And then he took Goliath's sword out of his scabbard, and he cut off his head. And when Israel's army saw that, they came out of hiding. And they routed Goliath's army, and David, bang, man, he's now the national hero. <laughs> And King Saul was so grateful that they defeated the Philistines and that David had done that, that he gave the hand of his own daughter in marriage to David. <laughs> David became the son-in-law of the king. Now, he also became the best friend of Saul's son, Jonathan. And I'm sure David's thinking, now how's this all going to work out here? Because he's thinking, well, Jonathan is next in line to become the next king. Maybe he won't want the job. He's really not egotistical. Maybe he won't want the job and he'll give it to me. Or, or maybe because I'm married to the king's daughter, she's queen, and therefore I become king. I mean, you know, hey, it's all working together. Things couldn't be greater. But then the Jerusalem Post polls came out. David's approval rating was 100%. Saul's approval rating was 13.5 and falling. The people were so in love with it, they made up a song about their new hero. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his what? His ten thousands. It went to the top of the charts. It was on MTV. People were doing YouTubes on it. I mean, it was everywhere. And Saul, who was already a little bit jealous, went ballistic. And at a royal dinner one night, Saul heard the crowd outside. And what do you think they were doing? They were singing that song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his ten thousands. 
And he went insane. He grabbed his spear and he threw it at David. And fortunately, David was able to duck just in time. David ran out of the palace. He ran for his life and went and hid in a rocky wilderness to hide in the caves. In an instant, David went from national hero to number one most wanted by the king. David's dream died. Can you imagine how he felt? How he felt about God's promise that he'd be the next king. Here, he's hiding out in the wilderness. Saul's army is after him. He's hiding in caves that are full of poisonous snakes. And he's hiding in the wilderness that had lions and hyenas. And David panicked like I would have done. Like you would have done. What do we do? What do we humans do when a, when a tragic turn that we take or someone else makes for us? puts us on the boulevard of broken dreams. Let's find out. 1 Samuel chapter 21, verse 1. David went to Nob. Nob was a town, small village, uh, in, on the edge of the wilderness. But more importantly, it was a town where the priests lived. In fact, the tabernacle was in a town called Shiloh, but Shiloh was destroyed, and so the tabernacle was moved to Nob, and that's where all the priests live. David went to Nob to Ahimelech, the priest. Ahimelech trembled when he met David. He knew something was wrong. He said, why are you, why are you alone? Why is no one with you? You see, David was the king's son-in-law. And the king's son-in-laws didn't travel alone. They had an entourage. They had bodyguards that rode in those black Cadillac Escalades. This is not right. Ahimelech is trying to figure this out. Well, what did David say to him? David answered Ahimelech the priest, verse 2, well, uh, Ahimelech, uh, the king sent me on a secret mission. No one is to know anything about the mission that I'm sending you on. Hmm, Ahimelech, secret mission, okay. Was that true? No, he, he lied. David did what we humans do when we don't think that God is delivering our dream. He decided he had to take matters into his own hands and work his own plan. David took charge because he thought God was taking too much time to deliver. David decided he had to do it his way rather than God's way. And friend, 
that is why we're talking about the path principle. The step we take today determines what will happen tomorrow. Today's direction determines tomorrow's destination. And so David felt like he had to, to lie, okay? But what's the problem with telling a lie? That you have to tell another lie to cover up the original lie. And that you have to co tell more lies to cover up those lies. And that's exactly what happened in verse 2. Is for my men, David said. You wonder where my entourage is? Oh, uh, well, uh, I told them to meet me in the future at a certain place. David fabricates this story that uh, his entourage is waiting for him. It's all arranged in this secret mission. And you see, when we're on the path of obeying God, but it doesn't seem like it's going to work out, what are we tempted to do? We, we're tempted to take our own path. And, and David took the path of lies. But, you know, I mean, there's a lot of paths that we can take that are our, that are our own. They're, they're not God's, okay? There's the path of blame. That, that's one of our favorites as humans. When it's not working out, well, it's your fault. If it's not working out in our career, uh, well, it's my boss's fault. If it's not working out in my family or our family, well, honey, it's your fault. Or kids, it's your fault. You see, blame, that's what we do. That was Adam and Eve's response when the dream died. The path of lust. We're not getting the pleasure that we so desire, so we seek it by taking a path that will destroy us and our family. The path of unforgiveness. Oh, that's a big one for us. You know why? Because there are a lot of people in our lives that don't deserve to be forgiven. Refusing to forgive someone because they don't deserve it we'll only poison ourselves and friend we don't deserve to be forgiven by Jesus because our sins send him to the cross we don't deserve his forgiveness but he offers it anyway and Christ followers follow Christ in forgiveness let's go on to the story verse 3 now then David asks what do you have on hand Give me five loaves of bread or whatever you can find. David starved. He's now forgetting that God's children are urged to pray to our Heavenly Father to give us our daily bread. And he thinks he has to lie to get it. Verse 4. But the priest answered David, I don't have any ordinary bread on hand. However, there's some consecrated bread here, some holy bread. Provided the men in your entourage have kept themselves from women. David replied, indeed, women have been kept from us as usual whenever I set out. The men's bodies are holy, even on missions that are not holy. How much more so today were David and his 
handful of supporters really on a holy mission? No, no. Verse 6, so the priest gave him that consecrated bread since there was no bread there except the bread of the presence. It was a symbol of God's presence among them, that he's our life, that he's our nourishment. We don't live by bread alone. We live by God's gift of life except the bread of presence that had been removed from before the Lord and placed by hot bread on the day it was taken away. Every seven days that bread was changed. New, uh, fresh bread was laid out. Only the priests were supposed to eat that bread that was removed. David was disobeying God, and he pressured Ahimelech to disobey God too. Verse 7, now one of Saul's servants was there. He was there, detained before the Lord. He was Doeg the Edomite. Saul's chief shepherd. Uh Uh-oh, there's a spy. We're going to talk about him later. Verse 8, David asked them, Don't you have a spear or a sword here? I haven't brought my own sword or any other weapons. And Ahimelech is going, what? You're on a secret mission for the king and you don't have any weapons? Well, uh, the king's mission was urgent. The priest replied, well, you know, we don't have a stash of weapons. In fact, the only weapon we have is the sword of Goliath the Philistine. You know about that sword, don't you, David? Whom you killed in the valley of Eli. It's here, it's wrapped in a cloth behind the ephod. If you want it, take it. There's no sword here but this one. And David said, there's none like it. Give it to me. That sword was a symbol. It was a symbol of God's faithfulness to Israel. It was a symbol of God's power to overcome the giant obstacles and problems that we face in our life. Direction determines destination. Was David headed toward God? Or away from him. Where does heading away from God, taking another path, where does that lead? Where did that take David? Verse 10. That day, David fled from Saul, but not only Saul, from the Lord. And he went down to Achish, the king of Gath. David ended up in Gath. Gath was a foreign nation. It was a pagan nation. They worshipped all kinds of gods except the one true God. And so David, where is he going? He's ending up in Gath, relying on a pagan king to protect him instead of his holy God. Verse 11, the servants of Achish said, Isn't this David, the king of the land? Isn't he the one they sing about in their dances? Saul is slain as thousands, and David is ten thousands. David took these words to heart. And that made him very much afraid. (laughs) So, verse 13, he pretended to be, what? Insane in their presence. While he was in their hands, he acted like a madman, making marks on the doors of the gates and letting saliva run down his beard. Why did David 
act like he was insane because they didn't kill insane people because they thought insane people were possessed by an evil spirit that if you attack that person, that evil spirit would attack you. And so they were left alone. And so, friend, where did David's own path take him? Down to a pagan land, relying on a pagan king to protect him instead of his loving God, feigning insanity just to try to save his life. And this is David. This is David, the boy who trusted God enough to kill a lion and a bear to protect his sheep. This is David, the teen who trusted God enough to take down a giant twice his size. But here he is, stopping his trust and his faith in God, trusting his sinful ways to get what he wants. Path, the path we take. David wandered from God. Why? Because God wasn't fulfilling his dream fast enough. I think we should ask ourselves some questions. God put this story in. You know, a lot of people say, you know, uh, boy, there are some, those, those holy people, those spiritual giants in the Bible, they did some awful stuff. Yeah. Because we do too. They wandered too. They They wandered away from God. They turned away. Yeah. We do too. We take paths that aren't leading us to God, leading us away from God. So just a couple questions. How do you respond when your dreams aren't coming true? What do you do? What do you do? Stop going to church? Oh, this God's not always cracked up to be. Reach for a bottle, pills, another lover. You know, there's just all kinds of choices that we can make to try to soothe the pain of broken dreams. Forgetting that what I do today determines where I'll be tomorrow. How do you respond? What, what's your tendency? What are you prone to do? We're all prone to wander, the hymn says. Two, how does taking your own path work out for you? How does it work out for David? Let's see. Uh, remember Doeg? He was Saul's chief servant, okay? And he was there as a spy among those priests. Remember him? And he saw David there, and he saw the priests help David. So what does he do? He reported it to Saul, that the priests had helped David. So what did Saul do? Well, you have to go to chapter 22 to find out. 
But in chapter 22, verses 18 and 19, what happened in the town, in that village of Nob, of the priests? Doeg killed 85 priests. Then he attacked the whole town where the priests lived, and he killed everyone. Every man, every woman, every child, every baby. Even killed their cattle, donkeys, and sheep. How did doing it his own way, his, taking his own path, work out for David? For the rest of his life, David carried the guilt of hundreds of people slaughtered because of his plan, because of his lies. And, and friend, the reality is that we'll never probably have to suffer those kinds of consequences for any act of disobedience we would do. But God just loves us so much, and he doesn't want us to suffer any consequences, and he doesn't want our life to be a stumbling block to others, and that they suffer as well. And the reality is that there will be many times in your life when you will wake up and you feel you like you're on that boulevard of broken dreams and you will be tempted to take another path, a path away from God. When, you're worse, when your dreams aren't coming true, the worst thing you can do is take things into your own hands. To turn away from God to turn away from the body of Christ. Here on earth, all of us will have times, we'll, we'll at times find ourselves on the boulevard of broken dreams. I have broken dreams. Never finished my dissertation. Wanted a great, great family. Had a son who went through a, just a terrible time of rebellion. Wanted help for our family. A younger son stricken with a disease that's disabled him for the last eight years. Broken dreams. We all have them. Friend, don't take broken dreams into your own hands. Don't take broken dreams into your own hands. What do you do with them? Put them in God's hands. No, he's not going to work it out exactly the way you want, when you want. But when you put your dreams, your plans, your direction, your life in his hands, remember this. Those hands are the hands that form the universe. Those hands are the hands that picked up the dead, lifeless body of Jesus Christ in a tomb and raised him up to be the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. You can't put your dreams and plans in any better place than in the hands of God, the God of all power, the God of all love for you and for me. We're going to read the rest of the story next week. 
hope you'll be able to come back. I know some of you will be uh, traveling or away. But there's more. There's more great news for us when we put our hands, our broken dreams, in the lives of God, in the hands of God. One of the things that makes it so hard when our dreams are broken is that we look around and we, we see people and it seems like all their dreams are coming true. And I've just bet that there's miracle here today. And you really rest restless. Your dreams, it just doesn't look like it's going to happen. Friend, you are not alone. You are not alone. But God is faithful. Don't take it into your own hands. Don't think that you can make it better by doing something that you know is not what God wants you to do. Don't, don't think that a little bit of disobedience won't hurt. And we've used as our verses and our key principles here, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. What do you do? You trust in the Lord with all your heart. He loves you. He loves you. He wants to work it out. He is working it out. Trust in him and he'll bring about. Don't lean on your own understanding. Don't think that you've got it figured out and you have a better plan because you don't. You're leaning on faulty, finite understanding. Lean on the one whose understanding is infinite and eternal. In all your ways, submit to him. Don't think, oh, well, you know, I pretty much obey God in every one of these areas, except for this one. I know I don't hear, but no. In all your ways, submit to him, and he will make your path straight. He'll get you on the right path that will take you to the right destination that you will enjoy forever and ever in his presence. So, friends, verse 7, do not be wise in your own eyes. Do not think that you know better than God. Do you not, do not think that you are more loving than God. God loves you more than you can imagine. Don't be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and his ways. Do them, obey them, and shun evil. Turn away. Walk the other way. Do you turn. Get off of that path. I know today some of you have heavy hearts. And maybe you're doubting the love of God or the power of God for your life. Yes, those are the feelings we have. Those are the paths that we find ourselves on from time to time. But God is faithful. God is sovereign. God is love. God works all things together for good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And he will help you. Shall we pray? Oh, God. We've talked about a, a hard things today. We, we, we'd rather come and, and uh, hear a message that, man, if you give your life, your life to the Lord, it'll just be a, a Sunday school picnic for the rest of your life. 
Everything will be wonderful. It'll be bliss. You'll never have any problems. God will give you everything you want when you want it. And Lord, that's not the reality. We live in a fallen world. We are fallen people. Even David, a man after your own heart, turned away from you and took other paths. And God, help us to acknowledge that uh, we're human and that we need you, Father. And Lord, would you help us not to take things into our own hands, but to place them in yours. And we're on that boulevard of broken dreams, dear God. That's not the final chapter. That's not the ultimate destination for those who follow Jesus Christ. The ultimate destination is a place in God's kingdom, his heaven forever and ever and ever. And that's the destination that we need. So God, thank you. Thank you. Thank you that you sent your son to die in our place for our sins. Thank you that you let us follow Jesus in this life. And when we come to heaven's gates, the only way we'll get through is if we're following your son, Jesus Christ. We praise you. We praise you, dear Father. Oh, praise the name of God. Praise the name of Jesus. Praise the name of the Holy Spirit, God. We want to live that in our lives this week. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me, please, as we sing?